Um, we're actually this morning, as I was praying last night about what was a passage we should talk about as a church today, I decided to do the longest gap um, we've probably had in a series, I imagine, in the life of this church. And I'm doing kind of the second part to a sermon that I gave back in July of 2020. So, yeah, so I'm sure you remember it. I'm sure you have the notes right on hand. You're ready to go with it. But this sermon was called An Eternal Perspective of Suffering. Um, we looked at the entire letter to the church in Corinth, um, the second letter in our New Testament Bibles to the church in Corinth, and we talked about having an eternal perspective on suffering. And in that sermon, there's one passage that I just kind of briefly grazed over. Um, I even watched it again last night, and as I talk about this passage, really all I said was like, here's another perspective on suffering that Paul gives. But this is a passage that has really... Um, it's rocked me for the last two years. Um, I, I think about this passage often. If you're a listener to the Sunday Recap podcast we do here at the church, I talk about this passage often. I regularly go back to it. And every time I think about this passage, I have one thought. I go, they really believed that. Like, they really believed that about suffering. That they really thought suffering had that purpose in their life. And so I want to encourage you, again, if you, if you were with us back in July, you probably could go re-listen to the other sermon, because this is kind of a part of that. But I want to encourage you again to go listen to that. But we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 1. That's going to be the passage that we are in this morning. Now, um, with 24 hours notice, we are going to have minimal notes, but I do want to make sure that the note takers in the room are happy. So I'm just going to tell you, here's what we're going to do for our notes this morning, we're going to try to answer some questions all in light of the idea that they really believed that. Um, so the first question we're going to try to answer is who? You can write that down if you're a note taker. And actually, I took liberty last night. I went into our church app, stonescrossing.com, all by myself, no permission. I'll ask for, I'll apologize later. And I put in notes for today if you're an app user, so you can go to stonescrossing.com slash notes or you can just find it in our app if you've downloaded that, and I put these notes in there for you. But the questions we're going to answer are who does what so that I can do what, but how do I do that? Those are the questions. Very clear. You got a real good direction on where we're going this morning. Those are the questions that we're going to try to answer this morning as it relates to suffering when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth uh, that we find in this first chapter. Who does what so that I can do what, but how do I do that? Said exactly in that tone. Before we do this, I want to give us a little bit of background to uh, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. So we believe that Paul wrote four letters to the church in Corinth. There's two of them in our New Testament Bibles, but we believe he wrote four. The first one deals with internal strife in the church. There's stuff going on inside the church, and Paul is writing to them to help them navigate this trouble. The second letter, they really, which we don't have, we, really, they, we believe that they really didn't like what Paul said in the first letter. So the second letter was Paul writing to them to say, this is why you should care about what I said in the first letter. So that's like the second letter. And then there's some sort of reconciliation amongst Paul and the church in Corinth. And then he writes a, this letter to them that we have, where in this letter, Paul is talking about how much he cares for them, but he's also doing something else. See, Paul suffered a lot. It's obvious, we'll get to kind of Paul's rap sheet of suffering later, but Paul suffered a lot in his ministry. And 
actually the church in Corinth believed that Paul's suffering um, kind of devalued his voice as an apostle. They said, if you have authority in the church, why would you be going through so much suffering? And so Paul actually writes this letter to them to talk about how suffering actually validates his ministry. Not only is like suffering just a part of his ministry, but it actually supports how he's doing the work of Christ. And so that's why he writes this entire letter to them. There's some incredible passages in here where he covers his suffering, what suffering looks like for them in the church. Um, and it's really chalked throughout this entire letter. Again, I'd encourage you to go back to listen to that sermon that I gave last July to cover the entire letter. But today, we're going to look at chapter 1 and looking at Paul's introduction to them. Um, another thing that's really fascinating about this. So when Paul writes a letter, um, there's a typical structure that he follows in writing a letter or really in any New Testament letter. Paul introduces himself. Paul then gives a prayer, where as he writes this prayer, he's kind of in it saying what he's praying for that church, and then he goes into the actual content of the letter, and then it ends with the doxology at the end. This letter's a little bit unique in that if you look at it, Paul doesn't really write a prayer for them. Kind of says what he's praying for, but he really just jumps right into it and says, this is what I want to talk to you about. So, if you're willing, will you stand with me as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7 this morning. It says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we, share, or if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. Let's pray this morning. Father, God, I just pray that as we look at your word um, written through Paul to a church in the first century world, um, as you proclaim the truth that you comfort us in our suffering so that we may comfort other people, God, that that would be true for us in this room today. And that we would be people that would be so impacted by your work in our life. And that, God, we would see that our darkest moments, our suffering, our pain, our hurt, whatever we're going through, um, can have tremendous impact to those around us. And God, that you've called us to something greater than the suffering we've just found ourselves in. Um, you've called us to serve you. And so, Father God, I just pray that that's true in this place today. In your son, Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you can take a seat. Let's talk about the who here for a moment. So young, um, I act like I'm not young. I'm 31 years old. I accept that. I'm young. But uh, younger in my ministry, um, we had a situation happen in the church that I was a part of at Community Church of Greenwood. Um, 
And we had a, a horrible situation, many of you are probably familiar with it, where there was a car crash as a family was coming home from Chicago, um, and there were two young boys and a mother who died in this car crash. Um, and this just wrecked our world. Um, this was a family where the dad was an elder in our church. Um, it just absolutely wrecked our situation, uh, wrecked, wrecked just how we were handling things. And, and I remember as it came time for the funeral, um, some of you may have been there, at, the funeral was held at Community Church of Greenwood, and it was an absolutely packed house, just absolutely packed. And one of the things that interested me as a young pastor was there were so many pastors there from other churches. And I think the reason that these pastors were there were because they were curious how a certain pastor was going to manage a sermon like this. And many of you, you might know this name I'm about to share, but the pastor who delivered the sermon was Pastor Charles Lake. And Pastor Charles Lake has had a very significant impact across churches across Indiana and really across the United States. Um, he was the long-term pastor at Community Church Agreement for a long time. He's a great friend, was a great friend of Woody Church. Um, just incredible ministry done by Charles Lake. Um, just really a, like, just established things in church planning that churches were not doing in the 80s and 90s. And this was the pastor, Charles Lake. And so Charles Lake was coming back to deliver this sermon. And as Charles Lake began this sermon, he raised this question. He said, when we come across situations like this, situations of great suffering, the first question we want to ask ourselves is, why? Why? Did this happen? He said, I want to petition with you that there's a better question we need to ask. And the question is, who? Who are we trusting in to make all things come true? All things to become right? Who are we trusting in? And I watched about every pastor in that room. It didn't matter where you were, part of a church, I started jotting down notes. And, and I'll be honest with you, I've seen many funerals since then about every pastor I know. I've seen them quote aspects of that sermon that he gave in that funeral. Because when we turn our perspective and our suffering to not just focus on what we found ourselves in, the why, the mysteries that we may never get an answer to, but if we can turn our perspective and we can ask who is in control of all things, who is the God that we trust ourselves in, we begin to see that there may be a purpose in our suffering that's greater than what we are experiencing. And I think Paul knows this as he begins this letter. See, he begins in verse 3, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, we know that Paul's going to get to suffering, but I don't typically, when I'm writing about suffering or I'm thinking about suffering in my life, begin with the idea of, blessed be to God for my suffering. Blessed be to God for my suffering. But see, what Paul knows is that suffering isn't the end of the story. Paul gives these titles to God when he's talking about who God is in the suffering. He begins with this. He says that God is the Father of mercies. I think Paul's intending um, really two messages here with this. Father of mercies, implying that God is the one that's responsible for all mercy in our lives. 
all mercy received comes from God. But I think it's very intentional that he uses the word father. Because we know that God's greatest display of mercy for us is through his son, Jesus Christ. All mercy comes from God. Paul is reminding them of that as he begins this passage. And his greatest display of mercy is to us. So blessed be to God the Father of all mercy. The second descriptor he gives for God is this. He says, who um, is the God of all comfort? Again, Paul's being very clear here that the source of all comfort in your life is from God himself. That God, in his very nature, is the God of mercy. He is the God of comfort. In our suffering, I think it could help us if we switched our perspective to focus more on who God is than maybe right what we're going through. Reminding ourselves that God is the Father of mercy and that God is the God of all comfort. So he establishes the who. Then he moves into, so what does the who do? This is found in verse 4. Paul says, Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort by which we, we ourselves are comforted by God. So what's God do? Well, he comforts us in all of our affliction. Now, I want to make this clear that the all really means all. Like all our affliction. Um, Paul, in, his, in this letter, in chapter 11, he begins to give out really what did affliction look like for him. Um, and I like to call this like the rap sheet of Paul's ministry. Paul says this. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored, toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concerns for all the church. And yet Paul still writes to them to say that his suffering is a validation of his ministry. Yet he still believes that God is the great source of all comfort. That God has given him a great display of mercy. That is the who that Paul is believing in. That who comforts us in all of our affliction. Now let's talk a little bit about the church in Corinth. Um, As you probably know, Christians in the first century world were not considered the most favorable. At one point, Christianity did become the nation of the state It did become more popular, but early on, it was not popular to profess Christ. I mean, people literally died for their faith. Not subjective, 
people professed Christ and were killed and burnt for their belief in Christ. One to one. Not just like they had some idea that was of Christ and then they were killed for that. No, no, no. It was their belief in Christ that they were killed for. And you got a church of people that's willing to establish that God is in and up to something greater when he finds them in suffering. That their suffering doesn't have the last word. Why? Because he's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all mercy. We trust in him in that. Let's talk a little bit about our affliction. One, I love that Paul uses the word affliction. It's greater than suffering. It includes suffering, but it's even broader than that. See, if you looked up the definition for the word affliction in the English language, it would literally say pain or suffering. Does any source of pain that's happened in your life, any source of suffering that you've had, this can be financial, this can be physical, this can be relational, this can be spiritual, this can be mental, this can be any source of pain or suffering that you've had in your life. Paul writes to them saying that God comforts you in all of your affliction. I love the way that C.S. Lewis says this. He says, pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. See, God meets us in the darkest moments of our life. And, and I'm, not, I'm not this morning trying to minimize the things that you're going through. In fact, one of the greatest joys as of being a pastor of our church is watching people who have gone through tremendous suffering in their life turn and use their suffering to minister to other people. All I'm trying to advocate for alongside the Apostle Paul this morning is that maybe God's up to something greater in your suffering than you just sitting in your misery. There's a time to mourn. I'm, not, I'm absolutely not trying to minimize that. But I'm saying that God might be up to something greater for you. And I know deep down you want that. You want that more than you want to just sit in the pain that you found yourself in. So God, the Father of mercy, the God of all comfort, comforts us in all our affliction so that I can do what? Paul carries on in the second part of those, that verse, and he says, comfort those who are in any affliction. What Paul is saying here is that God's purpose in providing you comfort wasn't solely for you. It was for you. I'm not minimizing that. That God loves his creation. And I'm sure God wants us to experience comfort in our life, but he doesn't want it to stop there. What Paul is saying is that you being comforted is for the purpose of comforting other people. Let me say it another way. Your darkest days allow you to meet somebody in their darkest hour. That the things you go through, the darkness of this world, the trials of this life, sickness, disease, financial strife, marital relations, everything you go through allows you to have the capacity to minister to somebody else who's gone through the same thing. I've seen it time and time again in ministry, and it is literally one of the most beautiful things. People who have been in struggling marriages turning around, and when they hear of somebody else struggling, being the first people to run to them to say, I know right where you're at. I've sat right where you're sitting. Let me 
be there and sit with you. Um, I love my wife deeply, um, and one of my favorite things about my wife, JC, is her willingness to use the suffering that she's had in her life to minister to other people. Um, I don't do this often because it's not a good practice as a pastor, but there are days that are hard, um, days where you have hard, difficult conversations with people, um, where you hear about their struggling, and to be honest, it's just too much to handle, too much for one person to bear. And there have been many times on those days where I will go home and I might share whatever is going on with my wife, and her first response to me is almost always these same words. It says, you know you can tell that person they can call me because I've been where they've been. You know, you can tell them to call me because I've been where they've been. I've sat through some of those sufferings with my wife. We didn't sit in those moments and think to ourselves, ah, God's going to use this one day. We absolutely didn't. I'm not trying to pretend that was our perspective. But now we find ourselves on the other side and we can proclaim together that person should know that they can call me because I've been right where they've been. Just want you to pause and think for a moment to yourself, what are the areas in your life where you've dealt with struggle, you've dealt with pain, you've dealt with hardship, and and goodness, middle schoolers, I'm talking to you in the room too. I know you're in here with us today. I'm not trying to kid that you don't have hard moments in your life. What are the moments that you've experienced in your life that maybe you've just kind of held them tight and you've said, I don't want to go back to that place? But could you have the perspective that God comforted you in those moments so that you may comfort those who find themselves in similar affliction? Now, let's get to the last question. We talked about who does what so that I can do what, but now how can I do that? See, we know that the who is the father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may comfort those who are found in any affliction. But the question is, how do we do that? Because some of us were probably finding ourselves that we're like, yeah, I want to do that with my suffering, but I just can't get myself over the wall. Well, I think Paul answers this in verse 5. Paul says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. The answer is, how can I do that? Well, you can't. You can't by your own power. It's only by the power of Jesus that you even have the capacity to comfort those who find themselves in suffering. I love the language that I think Paul intentionally uses here in verse five, as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. I think there's two meanings for this. I think, one, he's talking about suffering for Christ, because again, that's most of what they experience. It's very face-to-face. We have a real privilege, kind of in the American Christianity, where suffering for us can be something that sometimes it's theoretical, sometimes it's deal with, but it's not exactly always tied to our faith. For them, it was almost often a one-to-one tied with their faith. And so I think he is talking about suffering that they did for Christ. But I also think, as he says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, 
I think he's also talking about a deeper meaning. See, Christ suffered on the cross for you and me so that we may have the capacity to experience eternal comfort. This was the sacrifice that God made through his son, Jesus. That for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. See, we are comforted by the work of God. Mercy is displayed through Jesus for us. Our greatest capacity to meet people in their suffering is what Christ has done for us. It's not even even the suffering itself. And I've been there too, is great. It's helpful. Sometimes people need them to just sit with them in the trenches. You know what's better than that? I've been there too, but here's what God's done for me. Here's the perspective he's given to me that's even greater than the suffering that I found myself in. I may never get an answer to the problem. I may never get the answer that I'm looking for. I may never get that. You know what? God may never even take this suffering away. I may still be dealing with it right now in my life. But you know what? God is the God of all mercies. God is the God of all comfort. He sent his son for me. In his son's suffering for me, I can proclaim who God is. I can share abundantly in the comfort that he's provided for me. In baptism, we receive new life, and in that, we receive new power and new perspective through Christ. I want to pause there for a second this morning, because I want to be honest with you. If you are somebody in the room, and you are not a Christ follower, I'm so glad you're here. Let's, let's, let's specify that from the very, very beginning. I want you nowhere else but in this place. I also want you to have an incredible perspective on your suffering that's offered through the Bible that, that Paul's proclaiming. I want you to look at them and say, as I do, they believe that? But I also know that without a relationship with Christ, that perspective will not come. It's the second thing he's saying. See, to have this perspective, you have to share within the suffering of Christ. I, in prep yesterday, um, Sometimes you hit a spot in prep, especially when you have a day where you're just kind of like searching for anything, you know, just trying to see like what's, what's good out there that's creative and funny or, you know, or we'll work for tomorrow. And so I watched this like eight minute video on um, the philosophy of suffering. So like, just because I was like, I'm just curious. I mean, it was like Kierkegaard, it's all, all these different philosophers and, and, and they're trying to explain the purpose of suffering. Like why does suffering exist in this life? And really, the only answer they ever came back to was like, well, suffering makes you better. Kind of like it's like, like, oh, like you're tougher for it, you know? And I'm like, yes, like suffering does make you tougher, for sure. But there's a, there's a perspective that's offered in Christ that is so much greater than you just being tougher. There's a God who is in control. There's a God who's actually for your mercy, who's actually extending grace to you. There's a God who's for your comfort, and in fact, he's the only source of true comfort. 
So again, to those of you in the room that you're not professing to be a believer in Christ, it's something you're still wrestling through. I can't make you believe that. That's not my goal. But I also know that God is offering you a perspective in suffering that comes from having a relationship with him. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're wrestling with that, do not leave this room without having your questions answered. After service, we have elders who will be up front who would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. But again, this perspective is offered through a relationship with Christ. So I just pray that you have that. The world will not have an answer. I can't give you a one-to-one to how to deal with suffering apart from Christ. It's only through having a relationship with him that you can have this perspective. All right. To close this out this morning, I want to look at the last three verses that we talked about. I think this is Paul doubling down on the purpose and suffering. Paul says this, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our, com- in our suffering, you, you also will share in our comfort. All right, here's going to be the little clean three-point sermon part for you. So for those that really struggled with the journey we just went on together. Here's the clean part for you. There is greater purpose in your suffering, and I think Paul makes it very clear in these last three verses. The first thing he says in verse 6 is that your suffering is for God's glory. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. What Paul is saying here is that the suffering you go through in your life, even the comfort that you experience, has the ability to be used to bring God glory. That as you go through these things in your life, knowing that God's at work, with an eternal perspective, seeing what God's doing, that God will be glorified because you'll now have the ability to comfort those who are going through the same afflictions, who are going through the same problems in this life. I think we have an idea sometimes that we're all like very, very unique, you know? And we are at some capacity. Every person's unique in this room. But at the same time, most of the things we go through, there are other people who have gone through the same things. How much greater would it be to use those things to minister to those people? So in suffering, Paul is saying God is glorified. The second thing he says is that suffering establishes your testimony to other people. Again, um, testimony is a word that in church has become very simplified. We tend to talk about it meaning uh, how did we come towards Jesus? And that's great. Um, Christ did some tremendous things in my life when I came to knowledge of him as like a third or fourth grader. But some of my greatest testimony is the things that God has done in my life after I came to faith in him. That what God has done in me has given me the ability to share with other people. That is my testimony provided through the suffering in my life, that there's a greater perspective than the pain and the hurt that I found myself in, but that God was at work that in comforting me so that I may comfort other people. Now, the third purpose in your suffering is this. This is the verse that Paul ends with in this section, and we'll close it out here. Our hope, this is verse seven, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know 
that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. Suffering for the believer reminds us that our comfort is not in this world. It reminds us that we don't put our hope in the joys and the experiences and all the good things that happen in this life. That we don't put our hope in our relationships. That we don't put our hope in our finances. Suffering gives us the perspective to experience the comfort of God when it just doesn't make sense. That when we find ourselves in the midst of trial, that God is going to meet us right there time and time again. What a testimony to the world that our hope in Christ is unshakable. The pain's real. It hurts. We experience it. We want it to go away. We don't want to feel that way anymore. We want the person in our life who's no longer there, we want them back. Absolutely. Not minimizing that in the slightest. But more than anything, we know that God met us right there in our comfort and our hope is in Christ, it's not in this world. That suffering has the capacity and the ability to turn us back to God and to trust in him. That we may not get every answer, but we can trust in the God who does know all things, who met us right there in our weakness. So that's kind of my petition for you this morning, is that you would change your perspective when you find yourself in suffering in this life. That you would understand how God wants to use your suffering for his glory. That God is establishing a testimony in you through what he's done that is unshakable. It's unbreakable. Because it's established on the mercies of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for I. That is the work that he's doing in suffering. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. And we're going to sing one more song. Um, But again, I just want to encourage us as a congregation here as we just take this one-off message to just think through the perspective that God is offering us the greater purpose in our suffering than what we may find ourselves in. Um, And that God will be glorified through that through our relationships in this room, that will be glorified in our relationships with people outside this room. And that God will be at work in our deepest and darkest moments because that's what he can offer us. Offer us. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. Um, God, I thank you that you sit with us in our pains, you sit with us in our hurts. God, I know that there are many people in our congregation and that's where we find ourselves right now. Um, that we're dealing with hurt, we're dealing with loss, we're dealing with having a plan for our life and it didn't exactly line with what's happening. Father God, whatever it may be, that I know that you meet us right where we are at. Father God, that you are the God of comfort. You are the source of comfort. So Father God, I pray against anything else we may be turning to in this world. Anything else that we think provides comfort that's outside of you, let us turn back to you, Father. Father God, I praise you for the great display of mercy that you gave to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. May we rest in that. May we rest in the eternal promise that you've given to us, Lord. Father God, I pray for those in the room who they've not came to a knowledge of you. 
Father God, even in their suffering, that it may be a way that you minister their heart, that you turn them back to you. And Father God, I pray that as we go throughout our weeks, that we go throughout our days, that we take our suffering with us, not as a place of shame, but God, as a part of our testimony of how you've ministered to us, how you're going to minister to the world. We love you. We praise you. And all these things, in Jesus' name, amen.